Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Good morning, church. So I'll be reading from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 2, and verse 7 first. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And then from Malachi, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, They may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master... Where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, Is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of the Lord, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on the altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered in my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, And its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it. And yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. 
This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. I pray you will give us ears to hear. I pray you'll be with Russ, that he would speak to us, that he would teach us, that he would challenge us and encourage us. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, sister. Appreciate you. Good morning. I am so happy to be with you this morning here at Mosaic Silver Spring. You know, your pastor and I have had a pact since day one. And here was the pact. He planted Mosaic Silver Spring. And six months later, I planted Grace Mosaic. And we had this pact. And uh, it went like this. One day I said, bro, I don't know how it's going to go. But uh, if, Mos- if Mosaic, Grace Mosaic doesn't make it, I'm going to need you to have a job for me. And he said, bro, I need to make a pact with you. If things don't go well at Mosaic Silver Spring, I need you to have a job for me. So we were just making sure we were taking care of each other. But praise the Lord, both churches are well, healthy on this side of the pandemic. And I just thank the Lord to be able to see you this morning and to share God's word with you. Uh, If you would, please join me uh, in prayer before we get started. Lord, thank you for these precious people that you have gathered together in your name I thank you for the work that you have given them to do in this place. And I pray that this morning would be an encouragement and an appropriate challenge to follow you, to live into our identity as your people. And that, Lord, you would uh, this morning show again that you're able to draw straight lines with crooked sticks. Uh, Lord, thank you for putting your treasure in uh, jars of clay so that it will be clear that you deserve all the glory. So bless these, your people, and encourage them as we spend time in your word this morning, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I became a teenager and received my driver's license, I was very excited about the freedom that was ahead of me. But before I took my Buick Century out into the world for exploring and excitement, my dad, Russell Whitfield Sr., called me into his office for a little talk. And I could tell when I got into his office that this wasn't going to be your ordinary kind of chat. This was was a different level of intensity. And he sat me down, and then he looked at me, and he said, I want you to understand something, Junior. You're about to go out and have a new level of freedom. But before you go out there, I want you to remember something. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter how you talk, You're representing me because you're wearing my name. And if you go out there and act a fool, and I mean any kind of fool, and you drag my name and reputation through the mud, and then there was this pregnant pause. I knew what that pause meant. And then he just punctuated it. He said, it's going to be me and you. (laughs) Now, early on in the story of the Exodus, the Lord called Israel his firstborn son, and he worked redemption for his people, and they had this new freedom that was exciting that was ahead of them. But before the people went out to enjoy this newfound freedom, the Lord brought them to Mount Sinai to have a little conversation, and they could tell that this was not an ordinary conversation because Sinai was flashing with lightning and thunder was rolling, and it was an intense scene. And it was at that mountain 
that the Lord gave his people his law. And in the third commandment, the Lord essentially says to his people, look, I know you're excited about this newfound freedom that you have, but before you go out there into the world, I want you to understand something. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter how you talk, you're representing me because you're wearing my name. And if y'all go out there and act a fool, and I mean any kind of fool, and you drag my name and reputation through the mud, there are going to be covenantal consequences. You have been working through a series on the Ten Commandments, and the title of the series is The Rule of Love. And the whole idea of this series is that the Ten Commandments are an expression of what it looks like to live the life of love under God. You could think of the Ten Commandments as ten different perspectives on the life of love. Ten different angles, ten different windows that help to fill out our understanding of love. And this morning, we are going to be working through the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And we're going to approach this text through two points this morning. Shaming the name and reclaiming the name. Those are our two points. We're going to consider shaming the name and reclaiming the name. So let's take a look at our first point where we consider shaming the name. Now, many scholars understand the book of Malachi to come from the Persian period of history. And the Persian period was a particularly challenging period for the people of Israel. Because they had just come back from exile. Good news. And they were in the process of rebuilding the temple. Also good news. And they saw the temple completed. But yet and still, there was this feeling among the people of Israel that somehow they were no longer central to God's plans in the world. They felt like they were off the beaten path in this sort of no-name region of the Persian Empire. And they grew despondent. Despair started to come up in their lives. And that despair turned to unbelief. And that unbelief turned into moral decay and moral failure. And Malachi, like all of the prophets, is devoted to the work of covenant renewal. That's what the prophets were up to. And a lot of people have this perception of the prophets that they were all doom and gloom. And it was all, ah, it's an angry, wrathful God. But think about it. If you really wanted to get somebody, would you announce it to them before you came? No, God's announcement of warning is meant to get the people to wake up and turn around so that they can return to his love and come home to that kind of life in him. And what I want us to see this morning as we think about Malachi's work of covenant renewal is I want us to see what's going on with the people, and I want us to consider how Malachi frames their covenant breaking. If you would look with me at the text, I'm, my hope is that you will see everything that I'm saying coming out of the text itself. Not something imported onto the text, but something drawn from the text. I want us to see, to, to pick up the, the breadcrumbs of the trail that, that Malachi leaves for us. If you look at verses 2 through 5, you see that the Lord declares his great love for his people. And it's a love that is proven by his election. All that business about uh, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, 
It's just an Old Testament way of saying that God elected Israel to be his people, and he did not choose his, uh, these other people to be his people. And that was an expression of his love. And not only was that election an expression of God's love, but also the way in which God dealt with Israel's enemies was an expression of his love. That's what's happening verses 2 through 5. The Lord says, how have I loved you? I, I chose you to be my people. I dealt with your enemies. Just like I said to Abraham, those who bless you, I'll bless. And those who curse you, I'll deal with. I've taken care of your enemies. They will never rise again. I have loved you. In verse 6, we learn that the priests have failed to give the Lord the honor and reverence that he is due as father and Lord of Israel. And in addition, verse 6 tells us that the priests have despised the Lord's name. And in verse 7, the priests deny this charge. But the Lord tells them that they have despised his name by offering polluted food upon his altar. They were taking the blind and the lame and the sick animals from their flocks to sacrifice as their offerings. And the Lord says to them, he says, you wouldn't even give such offerings to your governor. To, to put it in a contemporary kind of context, he says, the Lord says to them, you wouldn't even give these bootleg offerings to the IRS. And you think that it's acceptable to bring them to me? In verse 10, the Lord says that he wishes that someone would close the doors to the sanctuary so that they couldn't profane his name with their offerings. In verse 12, we learn that by their actions, the priests are suggesting that they can safely profane the Lord's name and despise the food offerings with impunity. In verse 13, we hear the response of the priests to the correction. The Lord corrects them through the prophet. And then this is what the priests say. When the Lord says, you need to get your worship in order. They say, what a weariness. Do we have to go to church? Do we have to go to community group? Really, do we have to do this service project? They scoff at the Lord's expectation. But if we look at the hints, why did I just roll through the text like that? I want to pull out the threads of the text. If you look at the hints, you can see how Malachi is zeroing in on the third commandment. Check it out. He says there is no honor, no reverence for the Lord. They despise my name. They kindle fire on the Lord's altar in vain. In contrast to what's happening in this text, the Lord says... That a day is coming when my name will be great among the nations. The priests profane the Lord's name. They scoff at the suggestion that the Lord deserves better. And the passage ends with a statement from the Lord. For I am a great king and my name will be feared among the nations. Now, can you see how Malachi is framing they're covenant-breaking. Israel isn't just breaking the covenant in general. They're not just breaking the covenant in a generic sense. What we see in this text is that they are specifically breaking the third commandment. They are taking the Lord's name in vain. Now, when we think of taking the Lord's name in vain, 
What often comes to mind for those who are familiar with the Christian faith, those who have grown up in the Christian faith, when you think of taking the Lord's name in vain, you typically think of sins of speech. Like when you use the Lord's name to express your rage or your anger through cussing or cursing people, right? Or when you use the Lord's name in a joking or lighthearted manner that is inappropriate. And these are examples of taking the Lord's name in vain. But the command is actually much more expansive. Behind the English translation, take the Lord's name in vain. That verb take, that's translated take, is the Hebrew verb nasah. And nasah can be translated in a couple ways. It can mean to take, it can mean to carry, or it can mean to bear. Now, I think a more helpful way of reflecting what's happening behind our English text here, I think a more helpful way to translate this is to say, you shall not bear the Lord's name in vain. Bearing it, wearing it, carrying his name on your very person. This translation, along with the context, helps us to see that this commandment is about much more than how we speak with respect to God's name. It's about how we bear his name and how we live in, in, in the Christian life as people who bear his name and how our lives reflect on the Lord for better or for worse. When you wear his name, you are always reflecting on him for better or for worse. The Lord had put his name on his people. They were bearing his name. And in bearing his name, there is this implicit claim to be representing him. I represent him. I'm a Christian. I identify in this way. So when you look at me, you should expect to see something reflective of him. To bear the Lord's name in vain is to bring emptiness and shame to his name. In bearing his name, we are claiming a certain identity. And what we see in the text is that the people took their freedom and their liberty and they went out and acted a fool. And they dragged the Lord's name and reputation through the mud. They trivialized his name. They diluted his name of its rich significance by their behavior and their talking and their ways of relating to one another and their ways of relating to worship and their ways of relating to their neighbors. They brought shame to the name. When God's people take his name in vain, we assassinate his character and flout his majesty. Let me just pull a little illustration that I think is timely. In the last few years, there has been a particular focus in the media on a certain group of people. And this group of people, when they get up for work, they take a badge and they put on a uniform. And they're supposed to be representing justice and uprightness and social integrity. And what has happened is that some of those folks who wear that badge have acted in a way that has brought shame on the name of law enforcement. 
Now, you may have some law enforcement in here today who are good folks. They do their job faithfully. They're, they're good with the citizens. They're looking out for people. They try to be just and right. They try to uphold the law and treat people well. And if you went to one of them and you asked them how they felt about other officers who are bringing shame on the name, I promise you they would be livid. They would be so frustrated because they're bearing the name, but they are not living up into the name the way that it should be lived into. And it's a similar thing that's happening in this text when it comes to identifying as God's people and bearing his name. A simple question gets to the core of the third commandment. And here it is. Does the Lord get glory by association with me or guilt by association with me? Am I bringing glory to the name of the Lord or shame on the name? I think that there are a number of different ways that we break the third commandment in contemporary context. And I want to run through a few of those just to give you some things to reflect upon and work out before the Lord and to work out in community. How do we break the third commandment these days? The first way that I would say that we break the third commandment is through hypocrisy. I think hypocrisy is probably the most terrible and subtle form of breaking the third commandment. Hypocrisy is performative spirituality. It's performative spirituality in which we're more interested in looking good than actually being good. We want other people to think we're amazing. We want other people to think we're faithful. We want other people to think we're reliable. But deep down inside, what's going on on the inside does not match the outside. We are merely performing, doing things that, that look like they're the right thing to do, but your heart is far from the Lord. I want you to think about the impact that Christian hypocrisy in this country has had on the reputation of the Lord. When the people who claim to be saved by grace live in the disgrace of self-righteousness. When the people who claim to follow a holy God treat his word with indifference and carelessness by embracing ideas that are foreign to Scripture. And when we misinterpret Scripture to try and make it say what we wished it would say rather than what it actually says. When the people who claim to follow the humble Christ are swollen with pride. When the people who claim to be seeking the Lord are too often seeking power. Hypocrisy is when you bear the name of the Lord, but you don't share the heart of the Lord. That's a simple way of understanding hypocrisy. It's when you bear the name of the Lord, but you don't share the heart of the Lord. We break the third commandment through hypocrisy. We also break the third commandment through timidity, through timidity. When we're afraid of identifying as Christians. Sure, you bear the name on Sunday mornings and you come in for worship, but because of the reputation of some Christians and the discredit that they have brought to the name, you're afraid to identify as a Christian Monday through Saturday, and you cast off the name because of embarrassment. Now, here's the thing about these scenarios. In these situations, what's actually happening is that you're more interested in preserving your own reputation 
than you are in preserving the Lord's reputation. Because what you could do is set the record straight. What you could do instead of sitting back and listening to people blast the church and blast the Lord, you could enter into dialogue. I want you to think about it like this. If somebody went up to Pastor Joel and started talking trash on Sister Stephanie, you better believe there's going to be some furniture moving off in there, okay? There's going to be a situation, there's going to be a misunderstanding that happens right there. Why? Because you can't talk trash on Sister Stephanie to Joel because love does not tolerate that for the beloved. In a similar way, we could even say that a dog barks when you attack its master. And what do we do when people unfairly attribute the bad behavior of Christians to the Lord? And they draw false conclusions about him. You know, there's a way of engaging in that where you don't provide any excuses for the bad behavior of Christians. No, we reject that as much as anybody else, even more. But there's a way of engaging with folks to simply say, you know, I understand your frustrations. And they're, they're warranted in so many ways. But I would just, you know, in a humble way, I would just say that you don't see the full picture. You know, the story of Christians is not that we are morally superior and that's why we are Christians. The story is that we're ruined sinners in need of God's grace. And yes, from time to time, our sin comes out and it reveals just why we need this Savior. But I know you've been to a bad restaurant before and that didn't stop you from going back to other restaurants. Could it be that there are Christians and there are expressions of the Christian faith that don't really line up with the truth of the Christian faith? That's what I'd encourage you to think about, friend, and to engage people in a respectful but principled way so that you bear witness to the name, so that you help to recover a right sense of who God is. We take the Lord's name in vain through timidity. We take the Lord's name in vain when we join him to causes that misrepresent him, diminish him, or marginalize him. And the most obvious expression of this in our area is politics. It's politics. Both conservative and progressive Christians do this in their own ways, leading others to identify the Lord with a particular party or political outlook. When you suggest that only true Christians would vote in this way, you're tying the Lord's reputation to a political affiliation that he never tied himself to, and that's taking the Lord's name in vain. Remember that the Bible does not align God with Republicans or Democrats. The text clearly says, I am a great king. He is a king. That's his political claim. I am Lord of all. And I cannot be fit into anybody's political box, and I must not be used for anyone's political advantage. How else do we break the third commandment? By breaking our word, lying, swearing oaths that we don't keep, putting words in the Lord's mouth, claiming to speak for him when we don't. Any way that our life mischaracterizes our God or distorts his word or brings him guilt by association with us is breaking the third commandment. When we break the third commandment, we bring shame and reproach on the name of the Lord and we obscure his holiness. 
We obscure his goodness. We obscure his faithfulness and his kindness. We obscure his truth or some other aspect of his character. I think this is perhaps the greatest sin of which American Christians are guilty. The third commandment is all about love for God that is expressed through bringing honor to his name. Anybody who truly loves the Lord is going to be zealous to uphold his reputation, to set the record straight, to reclaim the name of the Lord, to restore a right view of his many excellencies. And that brings us to our second point, reclaiming the name. Though the priests of Israel and the people of Israel brought shame on the name of the Lord in their day, though they dragged the name of the Lord through the mud, the prophet actually saw a day coming where there would be a turnaround. You can see this in verse 11. Check check it out. It says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting... My name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. The bad news is that we break the third commandment on a regular basis, but I want you to see that this text does not leave us without good news. Because that day that the prophet spoke about in verse 11, that day would come when the true Israelite, the true priest, came into the world. Jesus would bear the name of the Lord in the beauty of loving obedience. His life would be a perfect reflection of the character of the Lord. His glory, his kindness, his love and patience his grace and wisdom. Every facet of the life of Jesus proclaimed the manifold excellencies of the Lord. As Jesus endured his state of humiliation for our redemption, you know what he could have said? When he was living in this world as a poor man, when he was being rejected and mocked, when he was being challenged by opponents, when he was just being pressed upon in this earthly life, the Lord could have said, what a weariness this is. But for the joy set before him, he endured the pain and the shame of bringing many sons and daughters home to glory. And he restored the reputation of the Lord as a great deliverer, as a faithful God, as a trustworthy God that we can rely on. Not only did Jesus show us how a human life is to bear the name and give glory to the Lord, he also became the pure offering of Malachi's text to cover the failure of repentant sinners who have brought shame on the name. And Christ then poured out his spirit and he sent his spirit to do such a work of renovation in our lives that we could return again to our calling of bearing his name with the dignity and reverence that the Lord deserves. He can set us free from hypocrisy and timidity so that we can bear his name. In any other practices that we take up to break the third commandment, the Lord by his spirit can set us free. 
The good news of the gospel is this. Though the third commandment can condemn the best of us, Jesus is able to save the worst of us. That's good news. He can save you not just from the penalty of sin. He can save you from the power of sin so that it no longer dominates your life. So that you can be free to bear his name with the honor and reverence and love and gratitude and thoughtfulness and intentionality and integrity that he deserves. The Lord is saying to us this morning, you bear my name. So in your life, bring my name to bear. You bear my name. So in your life, bring my name to bear. In all of its glory, bring my name to bear. In all of its power, bring my name to bear. In all of its significance, bring my name to bear. Pray in my name. Serve in my name. Bless in my name. Baptize in my name. Boast in my name. Because my name is the name above all names. Because there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you know what else? Bear his name in the world because he bears your name in the heavens as your great high priest, speaking on your behalf, bringing your sins and your needs to the Father, fixing up your busted prayers to fit them for the ears of the king. He bears your name in heaven. So bear his name in the world. May the name of the Lord be glorified in us because he has written our names in the book of life. Two applications that I want to give you to take away from here. The first one is this. I want to encourage you to listen for the voice of the Spirit in the Scriptures. Come to God's Word hungry and humble. Because this is a prerequisite for bearing the name. You can't bear the name of the Lord if you don't know him. And you must know him through his word. So come to his word hungry, but also come humble. Because one of the things that you will discover in um, your Bible study is that there is a lot about the Bible that is kind of challenging to understand. And that's why God has been so good to Mosaic Silver Spring and given you a pastor who has put in the work to know the word, to think about how to bring the word to bear in the lives of God's people. And you have elders who are so zealous to see you flourish, to bring God's word to bear in your life so that you can really live the life of fullness and abundance in Jesus. When they bring God's word to you and it conflicts with where you're at or what you're thinking, I want to encourage you to embrace humility, suspend your judgments about what you think you know, and receive from them because they are gifts from God to you for your well-being. Receive the gift of community and accountability. That's another application of taking the word seriously and being hungry and humble when it comes to the word. God has given us community to safeguard our lives. And in our sane moments, in our moments of sanity, we know we need people to tell us when we're going off course. It's when we get a little bit crazy that we don't want that. So love one another and receive 
the love from one another when it comes time for confrontation. We all know how anxiety-producing it can be when you have to confront someone about something. So how much love must it take for them to be willing to enter into the awkwardness and discomfort of raising an issue with you? They must love you dearly. They must really care about you. Receive it in that way. The second application is this. As opportunity arises, contend for the Lord's reputation. Contend for the Lord's reputation, even when it feels like your reputation is at stake. Because here's the truth of God's word. He will vindicate you, and he will vindicate himself in due time. In his time, he will vindicate. That's the whole idea of every knee bowing and every tongue confessing. One day, everyone will see the truth that has been somewhat disclosed in this world. God will uphold his servants. God will uphold those who go out to represent his name. So let us bear the name of the Lord in our lives, showing something of his great love as our Redeemer, showing something of his amazing grace in the way that we relate to one another in grace, showing his patience in the way that we bear with one another, showing his service in the way that we help one another to carry burdens. It is our great privilege to have his name over our lives. So let us bear it well. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We are grateful to be your people, to bear your name. And we ask that you would give us grace to bring glory to your name rather than shame. We thank you, Lord, that you are so ready to forgive our sins, that you are more ready to forgive our sins than we are to commit them. We pray that you would give us trust and faith in you and help us to love one another in the way that we encourage and challenge one another to bear the name faithfully. Help us to live this life of love for your glory and for the good of our neighbors. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.